0: Welcome to the Tipping Point program. Um, I'm Mark Hitchcock and on uh, today's episode, I'm gonna be talking about persecution. I'm increasing persecution in our culture today. And in our subscriber portion, I'm answering some questions as as well as responding to uh, some news about uh, President Biden's uh, upcoming trip to uh, Israel and to Saudi Arabia, as well as to some uh, other developments on the the, the global reset front, uh, the, the front of the great reset. Uh, what I want to talk uh, about in this uh, main section here today is about uh, persecution. And uh, I'm calling this uh, this little section here, Don't Be Surprised. Don't be surprised. If you have a Bible, you might get your Bible. We're going to be in one passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 12 uh, through 19. Uh, there's a story I like about two brothers who uh, got in a fight uh, with each other. And hearing the commotion from a distance, the mother Um, of the two boys kind of went in to break up this scuffle, this fight and find out what was going on. And so after scolding both of them, the mother said, who started it? Who delivered the first blow? And the younger brother spoke up and said, I hit him back before he hit me. Now that's a a young man who wasn't going to allow himself to be surprised. And he anticipated what was coming and he was ready for it. And and in the same way today, uh, Christians, even here in America, We need to anticipate persecution and suffering. We need to anticipate this at at the hands of an unbelieving world and a world that's increasingly hostile to what we believe and how we live. We need to anticipate the blows of the enemy and not be surprised when they hit us. Uh, the New Testament instructs us over and over again to expect opposition and persecution for what we believe. Jesus in Matthew 5:11 said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I'm in John 15, verse 18 and 19. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Philippians 129 for it's been granted to you on behalf of Jesus not only to believe in him but to suffer for him and first uh, Timothy 3:12 this is a searching verse for us today everyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and, and here in first Peter chapter 4 Peter echoes that same sentiment he's saying look don't be surprised when the world persecutes you so if you're a believer, Persecution comes with the territory. It's, it's par for the course. Uh, we should expect it. I mean, after all, you think about this our leader, um, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, was crucified. He was rejected by this world. And if we look anything like Jesus, this world's gonna hate us. Um, if we love God, uh, this world will hate us. And after all, the, the symbol of Christianity is a cross, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised to suffer. And today in America, we're we're what we might call the master's minority. Um, Throughout history, church history, believers have been hunted, they've been hounded, uh, they've been harassed. I mean, in many places today, believers are still being led uh, like lambs uh, to the slaughter. And uh, that's the world we live in. By God's providence, thankfully here in America, we've been sheltered and shielded from a great deal of this, and we need to be thankful for that. But there's a cultural shift in our nation, and the winds of change are blowing. Uh, There's an epic... uh, Cultural climate change in our world today. We could say we're experiencing a spiritual climate change uh, in our world today. There's a growing hostility against Christians. We don't have the home field advantage um, any longer. And so, more and more, we find ourselves swimming upstream um, against the tide in our culture. And preaching the gospel and practicing biblical morality uh, puts our faith on a collision course with our culture. And increasingly, we, we see this in a lot of places. Um, Biblical Christians are kind of the piñatas of society. We're the cultural outsiders. We've been pushed to the margins. So one of the things we need to ask ourselves is, what do we do and how do we respond in a climate like this? Do we just give up? Do we collapse in despair and retreat from the broader culture? Do we become angry and hostile? We're seeing churches uh, attacked. Even this week, I saw in in the light of Roe versus Wade. Um, We we see uh, Christians being silenced and canceled. And 1 Peter, this is really a book for today. I encourage you to read it on your own if you have time. I mean, 1 Peter, what we have in that, uh, th- this book is believers being persecuted in the first century. Peter's writing to Christians living in northern, kind of western, central, modern-day Turkey. And they're not being persecuted in the sense that they're being martyred or killed or beaten or, or physically punished, but they're being mocked and reviled and insulted by their culture. And that's exactly what we see today. I call this kind of a low-grade or kind of a soft persecution. It's exactly what they were experiencing in Peter's day in that part of the world, and it's exactly what we're experiencing today. So what I want to do is just give, uh, highlight four things that we can do in light of what we see happening in our culture from this passage. The first one is we need a dose of realism. Now, all the all four of these start with R, so it'll be easy to remember. But we need a dose of realism. Notice he says in, in 1 Peter 4, 12, "'Beloved, do not be surprised "'at the fiery ordeal among you, "'which comes upon you for your testing, "'as though some strange thing were happening to you.'" So he says, look, don't be shocked or surprised or think it's strange when you receive the hostility and the harassment of the world. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Now, some believe this refers to martyrdom of believers being burned alive, but there's no evidence this was happening to uh, the readers here that Peter's writing to. So I think it's simply metaphorical here. They weren't suffering physical abuse, but enduring mocking and maligning and mistreatment uh, for their faith. It was all verbal um, at this point. Now, obviously at some point in time, it ratcheted up to become more than that. And I think it's going to in our culture as well. But right now, The persecution we experience isn't state-sponsored. It's not systematic. Um, It's more local and sporadic. And again, it's what I would call kind of a low-grade or a soft persecution. But Christians back then were social outcasts. They were ridiculed and discriminated against simply because they were Christians. And we're beginning to see a parallel to that in our own culture today. Aligning with Christ puts us at odds with the culture. It makes us a, a target of the world of uh, this sinful world in which we find ourselves. Now, Peter tells us here, this shouldn't surprise us. The difficulty we face here in America is we've had it so good for so long that it is taking us by surprise. Um, Christians in America, I hear people all the time say, I can't believe our country is doing this. I can't believe these things are happening in America. Well, believe it. <laughs> he says, don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised. In other words, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 sets our expectations. When we shine the light and expose the darkness, there'll be an inevitable backlash of when we call sin, sin. And uh, this world uh, does not like that. They don't accept it. And what persecution does in our culture today, really is it seeks to marginalize us and eliminate and diminish our voice. To put the squeeze on us, basically to, to silence us and get us to shut up. And they, they're gonna keep ratcheting this up until uh, that goal is achieved. So. We have to have realistic expectations. So don't be surprised that the world uh, that hates Jesus um, hates us. But notice he says, God does this for your testing. God does this for our testing. In other words, there's purpose in this pain. Uh, There's design in the difficulty. God doesn't waste our suffering. We're being purified and and purged uh, like gold in a furnace as we suffer. So God has a greater purpose in this. Um, for for our own good. The world seeks to ruin us, uh, but God uses their mistreatment to refine us. So the first response is we need to adjust our expectations in the world in which we live. Peter's just very realistic here. The second response is we need to adjust our emotions. He says we need to rejoice. He says in verse 13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So he says, don't just endure what you're, you're going through, but actually exalt in it. Now, he's not saying we're to enjoy the suffering. We don't rejoice that we suffer, but we rejoice that we can suffer for the sake of the one um, who suffered for us. In other words, it's a it's a blessing for us and not a curse. It's a privilege to suffer to the, for the one who suffered for us. And he gives two reasons for this. In verse 13, he says, keep on rejoicing so that the revelation of glory you may rejoice with exaltation. He's saying, look, suffering's gonna be followed by glory. Look beyond the temporary present suffering to everlasting life. There's a a future glory awaiting us. So look beyond the temporary troubles to everlasting glory. But but it's clear that the road marked with righteous suffering is the road uh, that leads to glory. And you and I need to remember that in this world in which we live. And the second reason we can rejoice in suffering is the presence. In verse 14, he says, if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So we have the promise here of the presence of God in a unique way. Obviously, God is always with us. But he says you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So, When we're undergoing persecution for the sake of the gospel, for Christ, we have a heightened sense of God's presence. He draws near and he administers strength and he provides an extra measure of his abiding presence with us. Uh, The Spirit of God rests in a unique way on believers who are suffering for doing the right thing. And that's a wonderful blessing uh, for us to remember. So we need to remember this as we go through difficult times in our culture, maybe in the place you work. Maybe with some of your family members who kind of mock and insult you for what you believe. There's a a heightened sense of the presence of God with us when we suffer. There's a a story I love about John Patton. He was um, a missionary to the New Hebrides. There were cannibals there, and if you can read the the harrowing story of his life, it's spelled his last name is P A T O N. Um, He was a, a Scottish missionary. And at one point in time, these cannibals were chasing him, trying to kill him. And he goes up into this tree and he, he sits in this tree all night long. And um, again, he, he believes at any moment he can be captured. There's gunfire beneath him, all kinds of people searching for him. And there's a beautiful statement he makes there. He says, sitting in that tree all night by myself, he says, I was alone, yet not alone. He said, I had God's presence. He said, if I had to endure harrowing experiences like that again to experience that kind of presence of God, he said, I would do it at any time. Uh, I've often thought about that in my own life. Uh, we're alone, yet we're not alone. I mean, he never leaves us or forsakes us, uh, but we have his presence with us in a heightened sense. So look, as persecution uh, mounts in our culture and increases, we need a dose of realism. Don't be surprised, Peter tells us. Um, the second thing is Rejoice. Rejoice in his presence now and the prospect of his coming in the future. And the third thing to do as opposition increases and intensifies is to reevaluate. Basically, in verses 15 to 18, what Peter says here is don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if you suffer, suffer as a Christian. Basically, he's saying if you suffer because you brought the persecution on yourself just for your own foolish behavior, then that's on you. In fact, you ought to be embarrassed and ashamed of that. You ought to expect to suffer uh, for those kind of things. If you go out and break the law, uh, you should expect to suffer. In other words, if, if you suffer for doing what's wrong, you deserve what you're getting. So he's saying here, make sure that as you experience the, the mistreatment of this world, that it's not because of your own faults and your own foolishness. He says, if you if you suffer that way, uh, that's on you. Now, it's interesting, he, he says here, Don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. Now, that's the only time that word, that one Greek word there is used in the New Testament. And it means the idea of meddling in other people's business. And in this context, I think it means more than just being a busybody, but it carries the idea of actually being like an agitator, someone that stirs up things, um, that, that has unwise interfering. I an excessive excessive zeal in attacking and opposing what they don't like. And he's saying here to us, and this is a good uh, statement for us to consider, don't unnecessarily pour fuel on the fire in our culture. Look, we're not the majority anymore, but let's not be an angry, vindictive minority. Uh, Don't be an angry, agitated Christian in light of what we see in our culture. We need less anger, I think, sometimes and more anguish. We need to make sure that it's the gospel that's offending people and not us. Look, we need to have courage today. We, we need it desperately. We need to stand up for the truth of the gospel and the, for the morality of God's word. But we need to be prudent and we need to be proportionate in the response that we have in our culture. In fact, it's interesting here in verse 16, he says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, you only have that word three times in the New Testament. This is one of the places here. Um, let him not be ashamed, but, uh, but, but in that uh, name, let him uh, glorify God. So we want to make sure when we're suffering that we're suffering for the sake of the gospel and not for our own folly or own foolishness. Well, the final thing here to do is our culture becomes more antagonistic to us is what I call reliance. Down in verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. That's beautiful. This, this word here in trust is a banking term. He says, deposit your soul for safekeeping with God. Give your soul into his safekeeping. And the word creator here, the noun creator, is used only here in the New Testament. We have a lot of times in the New Testament, it says that God created the world, but only here is God with a noun referred to as uh, the creator. So as creator, God gives life, God governs life. Um, He is completely, totally sovereign. And he's saying here that as things get more difficult in our culture, entrust your soul, like you put money in a safe deposit box or a bank, entrust your soul to the Creator in doing uh, what is right. Put your faith in the faithfulness of God. God can be trusted with our todays, and He can be entrusted with our tomorrows as well. In a world of of shifting tides and gathering storms. It's a great blessing to be able to anchor our lives um, with a faithful creator. I like what Erwin Lutzer says. He says, we must cling to what is immovable when everything that's been nailed down is being torn up. And you and I are to cling to our creator and trust our souls to him. Um, Christians must bank. We must bank on the faithfulness of God. So look, the winds of change are blowing in our country. We all see it. We all feel it. There's an increasing hostility to the Christian faith and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to me, as you read 1 Peter, it's amazing how up-to-date the Bible is. What was happening in the first century is happening now in our country again in the 21st century. We can apply uh, God's Word uh, to our lives. So in light of that, here's four things you need to do. Realism, you need to to have a realistic view of life and, and what God says about it in His Word. We need to rejoice. Uh, We need to reevaluate and make sure that we're suffering for righteousness, not for our own foolishness. And we need to rely um, upon the Lord. We need to uh, put our faith in a a faithful God in these troubled times in which we live. Well, those watching on YouTube, uh, be sure to uh, subscribe to this channel to be notified of all of our uh, latest content. Uh, We're now transitioning to our endtimes.com subscriber portion. Of the show, where I'll be answering your questions as well as discussing uh, some current news articles. So, if you aren't an endtimes.com subscriber, I uh, encourage you to become a subscriber. Uh, You can uh, join today for $7 a month or $77 a year. Uh, Just go to endtimes.com to find that information. Thanks for watching our weekly tipping point show. If you enjoyed this show, leave a comment below and like and subscribe to our channel. For access to our full show and other great End Times content from teachers like Greg Laurie, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, and myself, join us as a subscriber on endtimes.com for $7 a month or $77 a year. Become a subscriber at endtimes.com for articles, videos, full episodes, and more.